listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hey listeners, before we get to today's interview, I want to tell you about an exciting development. Grief Out Loud recently partnered with BetterHelp. Have you heard of them? They provide online counseling and support with licensed counselors via video, phone call, real-time chat, and messaging. When BetterHelp reached out to us to ask if we wanted to partner, we thought, well, we better try it before we recommend it to you. So a few weeks ago, I signed up and got connected to a local counselor. It's been great. You know how when you try to find a counselor, especially in the before times, it took a lot of work? When you do finally connect with someone, you might have had to trek across town or even to a different town, navigating traffic and scheduling. With BetterHelp, I got connected in just a few days. The scheduling was super easy, and the commute just required me to walk across my house to a different room. If you're needing support and counseling, give BetterHelp a try. You can sign up using our specific Grief Out Loud link. It's betterhelp.com forward slash grief, and you'll get 10% off your first month. So once again, it's betterhelp.com forward slash grief. Okay, here's today's interview. When someone dies, what items become your most treasured? Is it your mom's favorite sweatshirt that on certain days still smells just a little bit like her? Is it your brother's bike that every time you see it, you hear his voice in your head saying, hey, want to go for a ride? Maybe it's your partner's toothbrush still on your bathroom counter that sparks pain, but also reminds you of the thousand small and mundane daily rituals you shared. For Ashley Jones, when her daughter Skylar died at 21 months from spinal muscular atrophy, a condition similar to ALS, the photos she had of Skylar and of them together as a family became her most precious connection. Before Skylar died, Ashley had done a photo shoot for another family whose baby was born not breathing. It was that experience that first sparked the idea of providing photo shoots to other families who were grieving, and particularly for those who were facing a terminal illness. What started out as a solo project of Ashley providing these free photo shoots has grown into a nonprofit organization called Love Not Lost. The organization's mission is to revolutionize how we heal in grief. Five years in, Love Not Lost not only provides free professional portrait sessions for those facing a terminal diagnosis, but they also have a community support project with an online tool called How Can I Love You Better, which is meant to help people figure out how they can show up and support those they care about in their grief. Ashley also does a lot of training and education for corporate leaders, helping them understand how vital it is to support their employees who are dealing with grief. Ashley, thank you so much for taking time to be on Grief Out Loud with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor to be here. And I know we have a ton to talk about today with your organization, Love Not Lost, and all the work that you're doing to support people who are grieving, but also to support the people in their lives who don't know what to do or say when someone they care about is is dealing with grief. So I know we're going to get through all those pieces, but I always like to start with talking about what brought you into this work, which is your daughter, Skylar. And 
She was diagnosed with SMA, spinal muscular atrophy, a condition that's really similar to ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. And she was just two months old when you all received that diagnosis. And I, I'm, could you talk a little bit like, what do you remember about that day, that moment of, of hearing about your daughter's condition? Yeah, absolutely. It was, man, so we knew something was wrong when she was just a month old, but in our minds, we truly were thinking, okay, worst case scenarios, like a lifetime of physical therapy, um, maybe special needs. Never in our mind did death ever cross, you know, as a possibility, you know, it was like babies don't die. I mean, I know they do, but like in my mind, it was like, no, that doesn't happen. That's so awful. I can't even imagine it. And so at our one month checkup, our pediatrician sent us to a specialist Two weeks later at that specialist appointment, he basically was asking me a lot of pointed questions without telling me what my answers were leading him to. I left that appointment and it was just like this overwhelming sense of pity coming from the doctor, but he didn't tell me anything. I knew it was bad when 30 minutes later, my pediatrician called. I picked up the phone. I had already made it to Home Depot. My husband had asked me to, um, just pick up some sort of bracket on the way home. I'm like standing in the middle of Home Depot, staring at a shelf, you know, full of stuff. I don't know what I'm actually buying. I get the call and my pediatrician is just like, it's bad. And it could be five things. Um, and he proceeded to list off five conditions that were all like acronym type letter combinations. And SMA was one of them. And he said, if you make the really bad decision to go home and Google these, because at the time we didn't have smartphones. <laughs> um, if you make the bad decision to go home and Google these, like, here's my cell phone number and you can call me anytime. I was like, oh God, no pediatrician in their right mind would give a first time mom their cell phone number. <laughs> you know, so I was like, this has to be really bad. <laughs> and so I was like, well, worst case scenario, what are we talking? like surgeries, physical therapy, mental problems. Like, what are we talking about? And he like really was trying not to tell me. And I, I was like, look, this is worse than anything. Just tell me. And he said, premature expiration. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, you mean death? Like what? And so I hung up and I just started sobbing. And I had Skylar with me because we had just come from the, the doctors and I was just looking at her and she just looked so full of life. And I was like, how could this little sweet thing die? What does this even mean? I call Kyle. I'm hysterical crying. He's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm still at the Home Depot. He's like, forget the bracket, just come home. And I'm like, okay, pretty, pretty sure everyone in an orange apron was running away from me. <laughs> um, and we came home and we, we looked up all the conditions together. All of them were terrible. I mean, all of them I had never heard of. They were all incredibly painful and just atrocious. She had every symptom of SMA. At that point, my husband and I kind of knew, and then it was confirmed at her two month checkup. We'd got some of the, the genetic testing back and then also our, our pediatrician confirmed a lot of the symptoms that she had that pointed to SMA. It was, it was, man, 
it, it was life shattering. It was one of those things that just makes you stop and ask why, how, you know, like, how did this happen? How could this exist? How, how could she die? Like, what is happening? It makes, it makes you ask everything and question everything. The other thing was that my husband and I knew, okay, this absolutely sucks. And, you know, we still are trying to make sense of it, but we have a choice where we can choose to let this determine the quality of our life, or we can choose the quality of our life. My husband and I were just like, we don't want this to be a miserable time for us. Like, we don't know how long we have with her. Doctors told us we would be lucky to see her first birthday. And so we really wanted to make the most of it and just decided to try and live life to the fullest and happiest that we could while she was with us. I'm thinking about all of the people that I've talked to in their grief and all the people who are listening right now who can relate to that clear, visceral memory of getting the news or getting the phone call. And to remember like that shelf of stuff, you don't even know what it is of standing in Home Depot of the orange vests <laughs> and just how those memories get so locked into us. And, and with, with Skylar, I know you originally, they were like, she might not make it to her first birthday. She ends up living, almost doubling that expectancy until 21 months. And throughout the course of her illness, there there's an experience you have with photography, you know, which then inspires you moving forward with Love Not Lost at your organization. Can you talk a little bit about what, what, how did that come to be, that experience with photography, and what did it mean to you? Sure. So... When Skylar was, I want to say, six months old, a neighbor of mine called me and said, um, you know, an, a, another neighbor down the road had had a, a baby, but he was born not breathing. So he was active all during labor. And then the second he came out, he wasn't breathing. And so um, my neighbor friend knew that I was a photographer. And she was like, would you come photograph him before they take him off life support um, and do like basically like a, a newborn slash goodbye session with this family? And at first I was like, are you effing kidding me? Like, <laughs> like my daughter is dying at my home. Like we're fine right now, but she's going to die. And like, you're asking me to come photograph parents saying goodbye to what? Like how why would you even ask me that? And so instead of freaking out, I just calmly said, you know, there's this organization that does this. You should call them because they photograph babies who never make it home from the hospital. And she was like, well, I know. Um, I've actually had a bad experience with them once. And so I don't want to call them again. And you're a neighbor and God told me to call you. And I was like, man, like I said a cuss word. I don't know if you allow cussing on your show, but, but I like dropped the cuss word and I was like, I can't say no. If God told her to call me like, thanks a lot, God, you know, like what the crap. So I sat with it for a minute and I was like, okay, I'll come. And yeah, it was, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do because it was super foreshadowing, you know, like I'm walking in and, and the family's really sad and they're, crying and having to say goodbye. And, and I'm just watching them lose their child. 
man, it was heartbreaking. And I sobbed the whole way home. But when it was time for the memorial service, we printed out photos for them. And just two weeks later was Mother's Day when my husband and I, we walked down to their home. They brought us up to the nursery and showed us those photos hanging in what would have been his bedroom that they have kept as an office. And they were like, you know, these photos validate us as parents. Thank you for, for giving them to us because that's all we have besides, you know, like a, a little stuffed animal and a couple pieces of clothing. And that had a profound impact on me because that was a, a way to help someone through an unimaginable loss and provide comfort that no one else really could have. Like those photos captured him in a way that you'll never be able to capture again. What was even more, more impactful was two years later, they were pregnant again and this time had a healthy, beautiful little girl. And I offered to do their newborn session for free while she was healthy. Cause I was like, if she had ended up like her brother, I would have done it for free anyway. So let's do it again and, and celebrate this time. And we were able to get some of the same poses and stuff. And, and as we were situating the, their little girl with the stuffed animal from her brother, the mom said, you know, Ashley, I don't know if you realize this, but the photos that you took of our son, that's one of the only ways that our daughter will get to know her brother. That just took the wind right out of me. But how powerful and how important it is to have those photos for, for her and, and for the parents and, and for their family and their legacy. So that's the session that I did when Skylar was still alive. And then um, I did a bunch more after she had passed away. And with each family that I photographed, one was a, a 35 year old man who had stage four melanoma cancer. And there was another 50 something year old man who had stage four lung cancer and another child that had SMA. And with each family that we photographed, there was just another story of impact. And I, I learned that with each family, it was meaningful in a different way. And all of them were so important that I just knew that I had to keep doing this and needed to figure out how to do it beyond just what I could do. You know, how can we do this at a large scale so that every single person facing a, a terminal diagnosis can be remembered? And you also did photos with Skylar. I'm guessing mm -hmm. you were not the photographer. Someone else yes. came in. <laughs> and, and what was that experience like for you to be on the other end of the camera? It was really beautiful. Um, so Tessa was our photographer. She's in Atlanta. Actually, a, a dear friend of ours, a couple um, that we knew from Clemson, our college, gifted us the, the session when they heard about Skylar's diagnosis as a way to just help us preserve memories. So they hired Tessa to come photograph our family. Well, come to find out, Tessa has family members that have SMA. And so when she found out that Skylar had SMA, she just gave everything to us as a way to help us because she, um, her nieces who have SMA are far away. And so she wasn't able to be as involved with them at the time. And so she was really excited to be able to give back in some way to someone who, who had SMA. And man, she, she took the most beautiful photos. 
it was so nice because oftentimes the photos that I had of Skylar, because I was taking them, I wasn't in them. And so the photos that Tessa took truly are ones that I treasure to this day. Before Tessa came, I had had another photographer come and, and do a session, uh, Sarah, who was a friend of mine, who was also a photographer, um, right before Skylar's first surgery, because the doctors told us that they couldn't guarantee that she would make it out of surgery. And honestly, the photos that Sarah took and the photos that Tessa took are my favorite photos of all time. And I treasure them. I have them all over my house. They helped me through the grief when I was in that raw pain after just losing her. But then also now they're just a source of joy. They keep her close to me. They give me a way to hold her. I love that imagery of, of you like holding the actual photo and having a way of connecting with her. And so when Skylar died in 2011, you were doing some of these photo sessions for folks whose family member was dealing with an advanced serious illness. And then in 2015, you sort of went formal and, and yeah. started your nonprofit, Love Not Lost. So tell us a little bit about the organization and, and you do so much more than just the photo sessions. So what are some of the different components of Love Not Lost? Yeah, we started in 2015, like you said. Um, it was just one of those ideas that hit me while I was sitting on the porch that was like, you know what? My husband told me I have to stop giving this away because we're not millionaires. <laughs> um, but I know what it was like to go through a terminal illness and not know what bill the insurance will or won't cover. You know, if we need a handicapped van, that's not covered by insurance. There, there were so many things that were just the funeral expenses, like everything. It was just so much and such a burden. And so I was like, I can't, I really can't charge these families anything and I don't want to. So how can I do this without charging anything, but also making sure that my husband and I don't go bankrupt. <laughs> um, and so I was like, you know, I really believe that if I am willing to give this all away, I believe that I can find other people who believe in the work that we're doing, who will help me give it all away. And so I started a nonprofit. That's a crazy process. I, don't recommend it if you don't have to. <laughs> um, but it's, it's been so rewarding. And it's just been this incredible community that has grown from the beginning as a, a very grassroots movement. We started with just the photography program, like you mentioned. And as we've grown, we've just seen more and more needs. As we see those needs and we have the ability to meet those needs, we develop programs to help provide that support. So the first one we noticed was, you know, we were serving all these families. And then I started doing more speaking events. After a conference or um, an event, people would come up to me and say, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing your story. My friend just lost her baby. What do I do? Or my neighbor just lost her dad. How can I help? Or my coworker just lost his best friend. How do I support him? You know, it really struck me that people were willing to take the advice of a complete stranger who didn't know anything about their loved one <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to help them because, and I get it, right? Because no one was really taught how to grieve or how to support people in grief. And so we're all kind of trying to figure this out for ourselves um, until you go through it and then you realize what works and what doesn't. So I understand it from that perspective, but 
to truly support someone, it, it's really helpful to know them. What I realized is like, I may not be able to tell you what you can and can't do for someone. I can give you guidelines on what to say and what not to say, but really the doing comes from knowing. I can't really help you with that in the sense of telling you what to do, but I can give you a tool to help you ask without being awkward. So a lot of people will be afraid to talk to someone because they know that they're uncomfortable or that they're maybe afraid. And, and in that place of fear, you tend to say things that you regret later just because you're not really thinking. My hope in creating this support tool was to give people a way to say, hey, I want to show up for you during this time. Like physically, tangibly, I want to help you. What can I do? Here's a list. Tell me how I can help. Because a generic, let me know if I can do anything, just falls on deaf ears. And most people who are in grief don't have the capacity to even tell you what they need because they don't know what they need. And each day is, is changing and different. One day they may need a casserole. The other day they might just need someone to take them out of the house or may just need someone to leave them alone, you know? <laughs> um, and so that's an option on our card, our support card that says, how can I love you better? And it, it gives a checkbox of bring you a meal, take you coffee, give you a hug, leave you alone, do your yard work. There are some blanks. So if you know that they have kids, you can say, I'll take your kids for a night. Or if they have a dog, you can say, I'll, I'll take your dog for a weekend or I'll take them on walks or whatever. So you can make your own to offer. This is a website people go to, right? The howcanilovyoubetter.com. Yeah. So we turned it into a website too. Yeah. And, and we actually are going to have a, a COVID specific list as well for, for safe distancing instead of like sitting and talking, it might be having a picnic on your front yard. Um, the howcanilovyoubetter.com is the, the digital version of the postcard that we created at the beginning. Um, we have empathy cards and gift to session certificates and other tools to empower the community to really show up for people who are hurting because, you know, all these people were asking, how can I help? How can I help? What can I do? What can I do? So the desire was there, but the action wasn't because the people we were photographing kept saying, man, my whole community's disappeared. I only have a few friends left. No, everyone's kind of grown tired and have given up and have stopped showing up. You know, I don't know if you listen to Brene Brown at all, but um, she's one of my favorite people. And I was just listening to her about 27 minutes ago, actually. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So she said this phrase that has just stuck with me. And she said, the absence of love is suffering. I was thinking about that and through the lens of grief, people who have already lost someone are, are suffering. Um, they are hurting, especially through a terminal illness when it's been long and drawn out possibly. There, there's been much suffering. To then have the absence of community and the absence of love is an additional form of suffering. And that's one that we can prevent as a community. And that's where the community support program was developed was because we believe that everyone who's going through grief should be loved and remembered. And so how can we empower our community members to show up to? And so the howcanilovebetter.com, like you mentioned, is an online support tool. It's a free resource. 
and we're actually launching our corporate care program this fall. That will be an online course for executive leadership um, and management at corporations across the globe who want to participate to bring grief and empathy training to the workplace. As a little preview of that, because you know, because that I, I'm grateful that that's being talked about so much more right now. I feel like currently June 2020, I'm hearing so much more of how do we help businesses and organizations be more grief aware when it comes to employees uh, who have someone die or have someone dealing with an advanced serious illness. And just as a little preview, could you tell us like, what are the top two things you wish every like CEO and manager and supervisor knew when it came to supporting employees and their workforce who are dealing with grief? Yeah, I think the the first thing I would say is that even in a person's best efforts, they cannot keep a personal trauma separate from work. A lot of our culture has been brought up over the past decades of keep work and personal separate. And when your world comes crashing down, it's just not possible. There is nothing more disruptive than grief in a workplace because especially in cultures who have been trained not to talk about it. Because not only do you have someone who's dealing with grief, but then there's the guilt from performance issues possibly. And then there's shame for even feeling the things because you're not supposed to talk about it at work or you're not even supposed to feel it at work, you know, depending on the leadership and cultural values. If only there was a grief time clock, right? You can like punch into work and then punch out of grief. <laughs> and when your yeah. shift is over, you punch out of your work and then you punch back into your grief, but it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so I think one thing that I, I really, really am desperately trying to, to share with leaders is that performance issues are not the problem. Like, yes, it affects your goals and yes, it affects your bottom line, but it's actually not the performance that's the problem. The performance issues are the symptom. And so if we can train leaders to see performance issues as symptoms and not problems, we will have a much healthier view of how to support our team members when they're hurting. Because instead of addressing the performance issues and guilting people or shaming people, we can really address the root problem, which is what's going on in your life that's causing you to not be able to do your job. And then we can talk about that. And maybe there's therapy support that a company is willing to help with or uh, HR programs that can help them versus just someone saying, oh, you had a really bad review, you know, you're on probation and if this continues, we're going to have to let you go. The last thing people need is more fear and shame and trauma from work. You know, my hope is that, that we can start to have conversations with leadership about supporting team members in focusing on emotional wellness as a very tangible and real goal, just as they would any other business goal to help them be more profitable. Because when we care for our people, um, and anyone who's followed Seth Godin or Simon Sinek will know that when you care for your people, your bottom line does improve. Um, and we're just now starting to get data to back that up scientifically to show that. And then to just the, the importance of awareness and self-care. 
as a leader, you cannot care for your team if you're not healthy yourself. And I think a lot of leaders get overlooked or they might feel alone um, because they're the leader, they're at the top. They don't maybe have the space to talk about their issues because they have to be seen as strong and in control. They're not allowed to break down or they're not allowed to feel things. It's creating that awareness of where are you yourself? Where are you in your own journey of health and wellness? Where do you need self-care and what works for you so that you can continue supporting your team in a really healthy way so that you can hold space for people who are underperforming or struggling at their jobs? You've talked too about how, you know, so often we, we grow up not really hearing about grief or learning what grief is or learning how grief affects us or what we need. And I'm curious for you in the years since Skylar's diagnosis and Skylar's death, like what did you learn about what grief looks like for you specifically and what you need in your grief? That is such a great question. I am no stranger to loss. Um, Death has become a very active member in my life, unfortunately. Basically, um, when I was little, I lost um, a grandma-type figure. It was my, my grandma's next-door neighbor who basically was like my second grandma. So I lost her first. It was the first time my parents had an opportunity to teach me about death. I think they gave it a good effort. But also, my dad made me watch way too many scary movies. So <laughs> as like an eight or 10 year old, I was just terrified that she was going to like jump up above a casket and like grab me or something. (laughs) Um, So I was like, okay, gonna lay off the scary movies now. But then my grandpa died. And then years later in high or I'm sorry, in college, my, my aunt passed away of cancer. And she was kind of like my safe person and, and the person um, I just love so dearly. Not that I didn't my grandpa, but it was just a different relationship. And um, that one really shook me. I was in college and I didn't have any support. My parents had divorced. And I honestly like don't think I processed that grief well at all. It was one that I was kind of like, man, I'm really sad, but I just need to keep going. So then, you know, losing Skylar was just earth shattering. And all I can do to describe it really is like I broke into a hundred thousand million pieces and had to learn how to glue myself back together again and and hopefully make something better (laughs) than what I was before. And I think the beautiful thing about losing Skylar, you know, looking for good and the bad is that she taught me how to love in such a way that broke my heart wide open. And the loss that I felt for her and the grief really taught me so much that I don't think I could have learned any other way. You know, as I've wrestled with the raw, really painful, depressing, you know, just like not get out of bed grief to then, you know, slowly taking steps outside of the house and slowly connecting with people again and then forming this nonprofit and then entering into other people's grief over and over and over again. I've learned so much. I learned that I didn't process grief from the past and it has come back to ask for healing. And I believe that every time we feel 
it's an, it's an opportunity and an invitation to heal because one thing that has really just stuck out to me throughout this process is, is learning how to heal and to heal. We have to grieve to grieve. We have to feel and to feel, we have to be present even in the really, really uncomfortable pain and heartache. And, and to be present, we have to be able to take care of ourselves um, so that when we are beat down and we are feeling depressed and we are feeling the weight of the world and our pain, we know how to support ourselves through it instead of letting it hold us down. And so that's something I want to help others. And through Love Not Lost, that's the hope is that, you know, everything that I've learned can be used to help someone else feel supported or maybe learn something a little quicker than I did. Or, you know, I, I can't take away anyone's pain, but I can maybe help them learn the lessons that I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> um, like even just taking care of yourself. Like there were days I wouldn't eat and I would barely get out of bed if it weren't for my dog who would like refuse to pee on the floor. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of it is the awareness and self-care piece of, what can I do to keep myself in a healthy space or get myself back to a healthy space so that I can feel these things? And grief is not, it, it's never ending. It doesn't always have to look painful and it doesn't always have to look the same, but like Skylar's gone and she's not coming back. I will always miss her physical presence here with me. And so that's something like I know is going to be with me the rest of my life, but I can choose how I view that and how I let that affect me. I've learned so much and um, I've done a lot of grief retreats and counseling and books and exercises and each one has taught me something new. I think the greatest lesson of all is just doing the work, allowing yourself to feel things and sitting with it and being okay with your, your present emotions. Well, and going back to, you know, the mission of your organization, Love Not Lost, is to revolutionize the way we approach and deal with grief and, and sitting with that, that idea that to grieve is not to get rid of the grief, even though that mm -hmm. oftentimes is our first instinct is like, okay, so how do I do this? So I stop having these feelings when it really it's, how do I do this so that I shore myself up to continue to carry these feelings and process these feelings and be present for them. It's such a reframe. So really appreciating that. And so what's next for Love Not Lost? We know there's the photo sessions for folks who have an advanced serious illness. There's the community support program plan where people can access a tool, a structure for how to best show up and support the people that they care about. There's the work you're doing to help leaders and CEOs and businesses become more grief ready. What's next on the horizon for Love Not Lost? So based on, you know, everything going on with the pandemic, we postponed one of our events um, that was supposed to happen in the spring. And we are posting it on September 12th, which we're really excited about because we've completely reimagined the event to be physically distanced, fully sanitized, as safe as possible, so that people can still come and experience really what Love Not Lost does. Um, so our theme is a journey through the senses and it's gonna be a really powerful event. 
but the cool thing is too with this and and what I love about just um, forced creativity, you know, with with forced limitations, is that um, this will be the first year that we have a virtual version of the event. Um, so if you're you know not local to Atlanta, um, you can still purchase a virtual ticket and join us on that evening um, through your own sensory journey from your home. We're really excited about that. And then also on November 19th, which is Skylar's birthday, we are hosting our Remembrance Walk. It's our first ever Remembrance Walk. Um, this one will also be uh, shifted to a virtual event that you can do from anywhere. And we'll have more details on that coming soon. But we're, yeah, we're so excited to continue exploring ways to help people you know, just again, like you said, our mission to revolutionize the way we heal and grief. Part of that is just making it safe to have conversations and, and holding space for people to remember their loved ones without feeling weird or shamed or uncomfortable about it. Our grief walk is called Light After Loss. Uh, we'll be encouraging people to walk in the evening and to decorate themselves in light. Um, so whether it's like glow sticks or Christmas lights or, you know, lanterns or whatever, that you know the the purpose is to see the light after loss and to remember the stories and the love and the joy that you shared with your loved ones because i believe that you know they're still with us even not in a physical presence but that love is never lost yeah i'm really excited about it. i think it's going to be a really powerful event and so anyone listening is welcome to join um, we will have a, a website for registration that will be coming soon but you can stay in touch with us on social media. So at love, not lost org is our social handle on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, and we will announce those events and ticket purchases and stuff like that on our social. So yeah, but otherwise you can just follow us on our website and that's love, not lost.org. But we would love for everyone to join us and participate and spread the word, share our story, join us on the, the remembrance walk and continue having conversations and supporting those in your community who could use the help. Well, Ashley, I thank you for taking the time today to have the conversation with me and with our listeners about your organization, Love Not Lost, and about your daughter, Skylar, and about the transformative power of photography and, and creating images for, for people and families who are dealing with advanced serious illness. So thank you for being part of the show today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. And listeners out there, I say it every time, but thank you for being part of our community. We really appreciate the fact that you're out there listening and sharing these episodes with people in your life who might be helped and supported by them. If you want to connect with me, you can email me at griefoutloud at Dougie.org. And if you're drawn to supporting the show, we are part of the Dougie Center uh, for Grieving Children and Families. We're located in Portland, Oregon, and we are a nonprofit. So if you'd like to donate to the show or to our organization, you can go to dougy.org org forward slash grief out loud and there's a large blue donate button at the top of the screen so thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time